this Bible study is intentionally all Zoom uh, because it is intentional to bring in our online community. And we have some of them uh, that are on uh, on the call, on the Zoom with us today. So uh, <clears throat> amazing how God is growing things. So this is how the structure will go. We'll open up. We'll go through scriptures. I'll even invite some of you to read. We'll kind of walk through that. Then we'll take some intentional time of background. I always think it is important for us to understand the background and context for some of the scriptures that we're reading, what that leads us into. We'll do a time in small groups where we'll break you all up and send you out with questions uh, for you all to be able to answer in small group setting. And Reverend Joel and I kind of pop around just to check in on you. And then we'll come back together for kind of closing remarks and uh, thoughts to take us forward. All right. And so that's the way that it will go. And in this moment, we get a chance to go deeper into the word uh, from Sunday. So we'll be intentional to be building off of Sunday messages all throughout the month of February. So this should really be a great time for us to plug in uh, a little bit deeper. All right, Reverend Joel, if you can, would you uh, go ahead and put up the... PowerPoint for us today. Where is it? All right, Faith, I think you're off mute. Do you mind muting for me just real quick? Thank you so much. All right, <clears throat> next slide, please. And I would love to ask, would anyone be willing to read um, these verses for us? You can just slip a hand up and we can grab you. And if you know how to do that on Zoom, that would be, that would be awesome. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, and then, so these are the ideas that have been rolled out so far. I don't know, and maybe Marika, you know better if they have. Like there we go, Reverend Joe. Perfect. All right. <clears throat> All right, I see you rolling in. Go ahead. All right. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance for these names that I will most certainly butcher. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, these are the names of the sons of Israel. That is Jacob, who's moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Niptali, Gad, mm -hmm. and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Now, Ian and Ero, I saw your hand up. You mind reading the next uh, next slide for us? Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Is this the next slide? Reverend Joe, next one. Yep. <clears throat> Here we go. He said to his people, uh, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. They will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Python and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. 
and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. All right, next slide. And do we have somebody willing to read this slide for us? All right, go ahead, Faith. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix modar and bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Sifra and Puah. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too, so the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. All right, next slide. Now read this, these last couple of verses. It says, so God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. So <clears throat> this is the context. You can go to the next. <clears throat> uh, for Exodus chapter one, we'll be in the book of Exodus. Um, I thought I had changed this, but you can bring all of them up. <clears throat> First, uh, to give a little bit of background uh, to the book of Exodus, whenever we're reading the Bible, understanding the type of book that we're reading helps us to best understand how to interpret that book. Um, from historical narratives such as this book to books of poetry, there are books of the law, there are the gospels, there are letters and epistles, there's wisdom writing. Um, and so Exodus is what we call a historical narrative, meaning it is not a book of history as in we would you know, typically write. However, it is an intentional story with historical facts meant to tell a story about God. Right. So this historical narrative is scripture that gives factual uh, gives factual retelling of real events. We believe that this is the way that things transpire, <clears throat> but it's also in a arc to tell the story that is best understood for the faith and for the Bible's uh, characters. <clears throat> These books of the Bible are not based in myth, <clears throat> but they are based in fact, right? They are based in actual occurrences of things that transpire. And as we read, it is important for us to pause and reflect on the fact of these events that actually happen. Now, it says that historical narratives comprise about 43% of the Bible, and we see them in Genesis, Exodus, we see them in Numbers and Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. We have some in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, and also parts of uh, Job and the Prophets. We also have this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts. So as we think about that, and we take that into how so we'll start to process through um, what is happening, like that's important uh, for us. <clears throat> Next, please. So <clears throat> one of the big things that Exodus is trying to do 
is Exodus is trying to connect us in written form to the book of Genesis. Like I mentioned on Sunday, the book of Genesis ends with probably about the last almost 15, 13 to 15 chapters or so about a man named Joseph. Joseph sets the stage for the promises that God had given both to Abraham, to Isaac, and then to Jacob. Jacob then, is his name is transformed. However, through most of the Genesis narrative, Jacob is still the name that is used. It is not until Exodus that he is almost exclusively referred to as Israel. And this is where these descendants now become the children of Israel, that we see this and this, this growth happen. And now this is, becomes also the introduction of God's chosen people but also their development. So before this is a nation, before these people have governance and rules, these are a group of descendants that are developing into said chosen people by God, right? And so, and if we think about this, right, this is prior to uh, the Ten Commandments. This is prior to any of the law, quote unquote, being given uh, to the children of Israel. This is the, their beginnings. And then we start to see all of this stuff happen uh, a number of times, right? We see in this first chapter of Exodus, it talks about how the children of Israel continue to grow and to multiply. In fact, it is their multiplication and their growth that kind of puts them on the radar of Pharaoh in such a way where now he needs to respond to their growth. Their growth now causes the, the king of Egypt to do enslavement, to create tougher conditions for their slavery, and then even to go into intentional killing of the boys, right? So this is this is the background story. So let me take a pause. You can, um, can you stop the uh, share just for a moment? And let me ask, any questions or comments, thoughts as we get ready to, to go further? Because now I want to release you with some some questions for you to identify within the text. But thoughts or comments, questions for, for any of this. All right, great. This is seeming relatively clear, I'm hoping. Wonderful. Well, glory to God. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, we do have some questions for you. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I want to put those, uh, we're going to copy those questions into the chat. But Reverend Joel, if you can bring it back up real quick. This is what I'm going to do. We'll have about 10 or 15 minutes that we'll give you all chances to go through and work in groups to get the, the answers to these questions. The first question is, I want us to list the places where the Bible mentions the growth of the children of Israel. So I want you to go through, identify what are the verses, right? We'll do that together. And then how many, how many different verses does the Bible in Exodus 1 talk about the growth of the children of Israel? Then I want you to look and find what were the reasons that, uh, the Pharaoh, that Pharaoh gave to support enslaving the children of Israel. So it's one thing for them to grow. Then Pharaoh kind of goes on his campaign and he lifts up why he believes that we should enslave the children of Israel. Then I want you to say, now, what did that enslavement produce for Egypt? Once they go into enslavement, there's something that happens and it's produced out of it. And then last question is, do you see God at work in this chapter? And if so, I want you to be able to discuss where. 
Okay. So we're gonna um, we're gonna divvy you all up into small groups. We'll then send that uh, those same questions out in the chat in the uh, to the small group, so everybody will get a chance uh, to be able to follow them up. And then, uh, if I'm able to, uh, we'll be jumping kind of back and forth just to check in and see how folks are doing with answering those questions. And then we'll all come back uh, together. All right. Um, questions or comments before we put you all into the um, small groups. All right. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a, a few moments to kind of go through the questions uh, and then uh, we'll have, I'll have some closing remarks. So first question that we had was list the places where the Bible um, in Exodus one mentions the growth of the children of Israel. What were the locations that you all had uh, for that? And you can just kind of lift your hand because it'd be easier for us to see you uh, that way. Sister Sharon, I see your hand. <clears throat> you you want to know the, the scriptures that we found? Yeah, the version okay. that you found, correct. Actually, we found one uh, in verse 7, 9, mm -hmm. 12, 17, and 20. Those were mm. all the ones where they were saying that, you know, they uh, were multiplying. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so now we have these spaces. Uh, Jessica, I see your hand up. Were you... Um, then how many spaces did, did you, how many verses did you count? Uh, Jessica, I'll let you answer that question. So in addition to that, we got verse 10. I don't know if you said 19, 20, and 21. Mm. So one of the, so how many, how many times did you have it? How many verses did you have listed? Um, the, the number. Seven. Seven. Okay. Sharon, how many did you have? Five. Okay. Anybody else with any other number? Okay. We was in the good old King James and uh -huh. uh, we had two. <laughs> you had two. Okay. Well, depending on your verse, right, depending on what word you use, there are at least four verses that mention this growth, right? We have seven, 10, 12, and 20, depending on where the, that might move, it might look like 19 or 11. However, the idea and the point is to show that in one chapter, the growth of the children of Israel is mentioned again and again and again and again. The Bible does not have a habit of repeating itself for no reason. Often, when you see something this repetitive, this is meant and intended to show us something. And this is important because the Bible is amazingly woven together. This begins to pull us back to uh, the book of Genesis. And if you can remember, there were these promises that God began to give. He started with Abraham and he told Abraham, I'm gonna make your descendants so numerous that they will be more than the sea, uh, the, the grains of sand on the seashore. And then the Isaac, they're going to be more numerous, right, than the stars in the sky. And so when we get to Exodus, this consistent reminder of the growth of this, this group of people is meant to re uh, resonate in our ears to show us back to the fulfillment that was already communicated in Genesis. That although much time has transpired and we're in a completely different generation, 
God is answering God's promise to previous generations. And we're seeing it. We see that fulfillment happening. Right. And so um, I'll restrict the preacher from me getting excited and running on too quickly. But this is a reminder that God's promises, oftentimes, even though to us, can extend well beyond us. Right. And we see this fulfillment of both Abraham, of Isaac into Jacob all the way now. We start seeing this fulfillment uh, growing in the book of Exodus. And this is this is amazingly important. All right. So then next question. Um, what were the reasons given to support the enslaving of the children of Israel? I don't but okay go ahead Dora. yeah so uh we listed a few the first was there were too many and too mighty so that's verse nine mm -hmm. um the fact that they multiply which is mentioned in verse 10 mm -hmm. and if war breaks out that they would join their enemies and fight against them and escape the land which is also verse 10 absolutely absolutely so so this is great and, and if you think about this um i just want to say that out loud okay we're gonna enslave them because they outnumber us, they're stronger than us. We need to limit their growth. If war breaks out, they're joined forces with our enemy. And then there's this weird one that just, this one always stands out to me. And there are a couple of variations depending on the version of the Bible that you have. It says they will escape our country. Now, besides just the parallels between us hearing things that might mirror today of there being worry about groups of people growing, people becoming outnumbered, uh, what we need to do to protect ourselves, right? Um, I, I, we, we, we can easily see regular connection, but there's another one, that last one that just really jumps out to me. If there is worry and fear about a group of people why wouldn't you want them to leave, right? Like if they outnumber us, if we're worried about their strength or their ability to overpower, why would we want to keep them where they are? And I think this is one of those places where the Bible begins to tell us something that although sometimes there are reasons given verbally, there are undercurrent reasons given because technically, none of these things make sense to enslave. I have never saw somebody who I thought was stronger than me. And my first thought was, let me go bully them. <laughs> hey, Mike Tyson standing over there, and he off his rocker. You know what? He's so strong. Let me go bully Mike Tyson. Now, that's not really going to happen. Or more than likely, it won't end up very well for me unless there are some underlying motives and some other things that are already happening that I believe Pharaoh was playing off of. Uh, Barb, I see your hand. It says Barbara W. <clears throat> Is that a question or are you just lifting your hand? No, I had, there was another verse. Okay, go ahead. Verse 20. Yes, and what did it say? Which actually summed it up. It said, uh, so God was good to the to the midwives and the and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. Yes. 
Now, uh, if you're watching the chat, my wife is trying to get me killed, but I'm thankful that you believe that much in me, that you think I can take out Mike Tyson, babe. Only you, only you will believe that much in me. Now, um, so so here, here already we have this, this movement where scripture says that they outnumber them, they're strong, they have this, this amazing power, and then Pharaoh's response is, let's enslave them. So... I think nestled into what Egypt gets out of slavery begins to open our eyes to why Egypt may have jumped so quickly to this notion of enslavement. So third question, what did this enslavement produce for Egypt? Cities and supply centers. Notably cities, and cities and supply centers. Absolutely. Advanced civilization. Advanced civilization. So, and if we're thinking about it, of course, that's the very direct thing. Cities and supply centers. Advancement. But what does that mean? What do you need? What does that do for you as a culture or as a nation? I see, well, I see your hands. You 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 looking at it right there? Go ahead, say it. Reverend Joe was was giving us the the money sign, right? I Go was ahead. giving you the hint. Make him rich. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Slavery is always a economic driver. Mm. I'll say it again. Slavery is always an economic driver. We use it and we use other things to give reason for it, but it always is an economic driver. Free labor, it is the ability to do what we would not be able to do in such a small amount of time. It helps to create thriving civilizations. And I'm talking, I'm just talking about Egypt right now, but I imagine many of us could hear that there are a variety of other places that this also fits. Mm -hmm. So Pharaoh in taking over Egypt recognizes that he has an ability to advance his culture and his leadership. And he uses what I would point back to in Genesis, are already available detest for a group of people to advance his idea. If you go back to, I believe I told us on Sunday, you go back to Genesis, I think it's 41. The Egyptians already didn't like the Hebrews. The Egyptians were already very self-assured. They thought everybody else was beneath them. So Pharaoh didn't have to create this prejudice or disdain or dislike for another group of people. He just had to harness it. He had to be able to use it to create something that benefited him and benefited the Egyptians. And that's exactly what he did. 
this creates cities, this created new jobs, right? They didn't have slave drivers before. Now they got a whole new working class, right? That, that's able to get in and be a part of this. There's a lot of growth that is happening both in the cities and the ability. The Egyptians begin to live well. All of the menial tasks, the hard work, the manual labor is now taken care of. So there are secondary, second tier jobs that the Egyptians themselves can live into. And as all people, people love having other folks to look down at. Oh, and didn't Pharaoh give them a group of folks to feel better about? Aren't you glad you aren't like the Hebrews? Aren't mm. you glad that you don't have to do those many? Aren't they bad? And then we can just start making up stuff. We can say science tells us that the Hebrews their, their brains aren't big enough to do, you know, big, intelligent work. The, they couldn't lead. And, and maybe this is God ordained. God would have for us to lead them and do. It's all of these things. And it happens again and again and again uh, within human society. Right. So um, questions and comments before I get to our last one. So I think yeah. this is the one that we can hang our hat. Really, really quick. Our group also, yeah. we touched on that as well, but we touched on also where it said that it produced a sense of dread in the Egyptians mm. the when they were oppressed. Um, and if, and if, I, if I recall that one right, that sense of dread was produced not by the enslavement, but by the enslavement actually causing greater multiplication. Mm-hmm. Right, so although they kept driving them harder and harder, it did not crush them, which they had hoped it actually began to grow them more. So much so that then they come up with the only way that we potentially can limit them is by intentionally killing off their ability to reproduce. So we'll take out the boy. And one could even, one could ha- ask a, a gajillion questions. Why just the boys? Why not the girls too? But because if we know slavery and we know what that looks like, we already know that there is more than likely other things happening with the women that Bible dare not speak of. And so um, there, there's all of this tension happening there. So if if we're reading this and, you know, the, the story sounds, um, you know, I know this is a biblical story. We're reading this, but I don't want us to overlook the horrors and the tragedy that this one chapter is telling us. We're reading now generations of pain and tears in one chapter, right? This is, this is the scourge of sin in human population creating some of the ugliest stuff that we can see. And it's not new. It's been happening again and again and again. So... That leads us, that, that brings us wonderfully to, to the last question. Do you see God at work within this chapter? And if so, where? Go ahead, Sister Sharon. All right. In verse uh, 20, mm-hmm. it says, Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, mm. and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. Mm-hmm. So now we have the direct quote, right? We have, there's a there's a, a good thing, an intentional thing, the, the God thing happening for the midwives. But we also see that there's a continued growth 
happening for the children of Israel, right? So, so we have God happening there. Anybody else? Anything else somebody wants to add? Any place else that we might see God? Verse 21. Okay. It kind of continues and it says, and because the widow, the midwives feared God, he gave mm -hmm. them families of their own. Absolutely. Absolutely. That continues. And what I would like to suggest is that the, re the fact that God was in their growth at 20 suggests that God was in their growth all the way since the beginning. That seven verses 10 verses 12, the children of Israel are not just growing by happenstance, but even before the Bible enlists God's name, God is already doing things that is benefiting them. That even in oppression, even in slavery, these things which are meant to crush them, don't crush them. They don't succeed, at least not in the ways that they were intended. Something unexpected happens because there is a God with them, right? And so, of course, we can, we can take a moment to think about well, what does that mean as we think about God, right? And, and that's what the Bible has always meant. These stories are meant to help us understand both what God has done, but how we interpret what God is doing now. If we have a God that is able to take unfortunate and terrible circumstances and still grow and multiply, well, what does that mean about God now? If we have people intentionally trying to snuff out a group of folks and it does not work because God is at work. What does that mean for us now? And if we can look at those great things, we might even be able to ask the question, God is growing them, but why isn't God taking them out of slavery? Now, and maybe y'all are holier than me. Y'all are healthy. I see your hand, Reverend Joe. I'm going to kick it to you in one second. Um, I would want God's blessing to be, get me out of slavery. Don't just give me more kids to be enslaved, but get us out of slavery. But before God does that work, God continues to create more and more and more in an instant, you have even a larger population enslaved than they ever would have imagined. Reverend Joe, go ahead. I was just going to say, man, I, I think that the greatest thing that I see from this text and even with our people, if you're thinking about slavery, is that God seemingly has created an alternative uh, timeline in the middle of a horror story. Mm. So, so they're going through hell. But just like God, he creates an alternative line of favor to the people who are being enslaved. And if you're looking at this, you're looking at the Egyptians and you're saying somebody's probably looking at them. Oh, they're rich. They got all this wealth. They got everything. But the favor that is upon them from generation to generation is on the ones who are enslaved. So in the midst of the horrors that we see from slavery and, and in this particular passage, we still see God giving favor 
to the slave. And that's just, uh, to me, that's just a, a credit to a great God. Yeah, I would want him to stop the storm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would want to mm -hmm. get out. But isn't it something that God still kept them even in the midst of their horror? Man. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is, this is, and this is one of the reasons why um, the parallels are so, so per prevalent that when they created slave Bibles in the Americas, this was a book of the Bible that was removed. Nobody wanted the slaves to read this story. Because if the slaves read this story, if there was an idea about a liberating God, this would transform how they understood. The challenge is, and this is African-American history, is that Christianity wasn't just given to slaves when they came. There were Christian slaves that came on the boats. And so although the Bibles that they let them teach were one thing, there were stories and preachers that knew the rest of the story. And there will be these lores and myths of Moses, the man that came and liberated the slaves. Thus, rebellion after rebellion would come because there was this belief that God would liberate the enslaved. And so, like, we can see the, the parallels, of course, why oftentimes this, this is even a great book as we look in kind of Black History Month and kind of thinking about where we're going. But this is a beautiful story, number one, of not just, you know, Black people, but the very fact that this is the foundation, the heart of what the church will become. It is predicated upon the promises of the children of Israel, which are not developed until they are pulled out of slavery, that we understand the promises that Jesus comes to offer to the church, that we are heirs and descendants of this work that God did way back then, because Jesus now, and we haven't gotten into all of the stories about Passover, but this is where that Passover story comes. Jesus becomes the, the greater lamb to, for Passover that now makes the church see and allows us to see how we connect all the way back to the promises given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. All right, questions and comments. Glory to God. <laughs> All right, this is week one. If you want to get ahead, what we'll be doing next week will be in chapter two. I'll be preaching some of chapter two on Sunday, and then we'll be uh, delving into um, some of that same verse, but then some of the extra verses in chapter two. So if you want to start reading, sitting and, and hearing what God says, I think it will be great. But we'll be going through the book of Exodus really uh, for the majority of our Bible study. It's so much in this book uh, that I think will be uh, beneficial and helpful for us. Questions or comments before we close out? All right. Y'all are in for a ride. Reverend Joe, you mind closing us out in prayer? Certainly. Let's go to the Lord, y'all. God, we thank you for your word tonight, God. Thank you that you allow it to be a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. Help us as we study, God, to show ourselves approved, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, and that we can rightly divide your word of truth. God, we thank you for 
uh, allowing us to dig deeper into this message, this passage, as we, as a church, come together around growth. God, we see you moving through everything that we've seen and heard today. God, we pray that you would allow us to take it in and to let it rest upon our brains and, our, and in our hearts, God, that we might meditate on it and be prepared for next week. God, I thank you for all those who came and joined God, and we thank you for a people. Uh, I heard the word said resilient. God, we thank you that you have made us a resilient people. You've given us favor, even in the middle of dark places. And God, we bless your name that you continue to grow us, even when the enemy has his foot on our necks, even when we are enslaved and shackled, God, you still cause growth. And God, we're thankful. So God, we pray that as we go from this place, that we're never from your presence. God, whatever it is, look into the hearts of your people, whatever they may need and desire, God, you know it before they can ask. And bring us together safely again, that we might continue to study together as a church. God, we know that Emmanuel is still a place where you're with us and you're doing something special. We bless your name tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, y'all. All right. Looking God bless y'all. Seeing y'all again soon. Mm -hmm.